0: Now, we return to the gospel according to John, and over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus do some amazing stuff. We've heard Jesus say some amazing stuff, and this morning we have a passage which Jesus is not in at all. But of course, like all of Scripture, this passage is about Jesus, and if you listen closely, you might hear His voice. So, let's give ear to the reading of God's Word, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. "'After this, Jesus and His disciples went into the Judean countryside, and He remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison.' He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God Remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us. Oh God, we come before you this morning and we hear these words and we know that all of the voices of Scripture point to Jesus. We ask that you would help us hear him speaking the words of life to us this morning. I pray that you would send your spirit into our hearts to quiet the chaos of our lives, the noise of all the messages our world is proclaiming to us so that we might hear You clearly. I pray that even my words would fall to the floor and only Your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. It was about eight years ago that I was dressed in a doctoral robe waiting to graduate from seminary, graduate school for pastors. It had been three long years, so many hours of studying, so many hours of reading, so many projects and papers, so many late nights, and so many pots of coffee, and I was ready to be done with all of it. I was so excited for our graduation ceremony, and our speaker was Dr. Mike Kruger. You might have heard of him. He was my professor who taught me Greek. He also taught most of my New Testament classes, and that year he had just been promoted to be the president of Reformed Theological Seminary, and so he was given the honor of speaking at our graduation as the keynote speaker. And he actually used this passage in his speech to us. So, he started and he read the passage and he said, for three, four, five, however many years you've been here, we've been training you to have a ministry like John the Baptist's. I was already excited to graduate, and now I was just beaming. That's right, John the Baptist, going against culture, calling people to repent, preaching the gospel of good news to them, seeing thousands of people converted. That's the ministry we're going to have. He continued. He said, now, just in case you're, you're thinking that this is a nice, lofty Uh, ministry type that I've called you to. I want us to focus on this verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the kind of ministry. And I was still excited. That's right, proclaiming Jesus everywhere I go, making sure everyone knows about Jesus. This was so exciting. He continued on for a little bit, and then he said, these are going to be my final words to you as your professor. The parting words that I have for you come about this passage from Count Zinzendorf, the head of the Moravian church in the 1700s, and I want you to take this with you, and I want you to make your ministry all about this. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. He folded up his notebook, and he sat down. That was it. That's what he left us with. John, the gospel writer, records this account between John the baptizer and his disciples, and John the gospel writer makes a little bit of comment here also, and it doesn't carry the same punch as that graduation speech, but it has the same message. The gospel isn't about anyone else, just Jesus. It always has been. The Messiah that the people of Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years is Jesus, of Nazareth. He is the same person who can make your heart whole. He can meet your deepest need, and He will bring you to a place that your soul knows is home. That's the message of this passage. Now, it's easy for any of us to get caught up on the endless cycle of self-promotion, to go down the road to self-actualization and to build ourselves up. We only want what's best for us, Here in this passage, John the Baptist and his disciples are tempted to go down that path. John, the baptizer, the voice crying in the wilderness, tempted to become the voice. But the authority and the power and the invitation of another voice fixes the call of his life and the life of the gospel writer, John, on promoting someone else, right? voices of value point to Jesus. Jesus' voice proves, uh, gives life. Excuse me. How will you respond?" Three points from our passage this morning. The first one is a little long. Voices of value point to Jesus. Now, Apostle John tells us that this conversation happened between Baptizer John and his disciples, and it started with a conversation about purification. See, for generations, Jews had all of these rites to perform in order to be purified, some of which included washing. There were many more, but some were about washing with water, right? Then John the baptizer shows up, and he begins proclaiming one baptism, one washing for the forgiveness of sins through repentance. People came to him, confessed their sins, they were baptized, and it was through that baptism that he said, God has purified you. Jesus of Nazareth then shows up and begins to baptize as well, in the same manner as John, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins through repentance. And this conversation breaks out between a Jew who held to all of these rites of purification and John's disciples who held to one baptism, one washing, and all of a sudden these disciples of John the baptizer look around and they go, wait a minute, Jesus is taking our customers, all these people are now going to Him. John, what is the deal? And John's response can be summed up by saying, it's not about me. This whole thing, baptizing once for the forgiveness of sins, it's never been about me. John in verse 28 says, you yourselves bear witness to the fact that I told you I am not the Christ. I am coming before Him. And then he adds this little wedding analogy that's, I think, super helpful for us. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. A wedding is not about the best man. If it is, something is wrong. The wedding is about the bride and the bridegroom. In this analogy, Jesus is the bridegroom, and the bride is the church, all of God's children. Right? The whole point of all of this, John says, is that Jesus has come to proclaim the good news to the poor and to do what must be done to unite Himself to His bride, to us. That's the whole point of everything, John the Baptist says. The focus of everything I've done is to point to Jesus, to the bridegroom. And so now that He's here and people are coming to Him to be united to Him, I'm rejoicing. The wedding is going as it should. This, I think, is a great point of conviction for us because we have quite possibly here one of the greatest prophets ever responsible for calling thousands of people to salvation through the repentance of their sins and belief in the forgiveness of God. And yet, the hallmark of his brand is that he has no brand. John's voice was not about John. Whose voices are you listening to today, and who are they promoting? In the books and the blogs that you read, who is being promoted? In the websites and the chat rooms that you visit and participate in, who is being promoted? The podcasts in your earbuds, are they pointing to the groom? That's a question I think that we should be asking. Many of us draw a lot of our worldview from what we read and see online, particularly coming out of a time where we are so isolated that TV and social media were the only links that we had to the outside world. And so much of our worldview now has been shaped by what we see and what we hear, what we read. That's why a study like this one that came from Relevant Magazine this week is interesting, eye-opening even. Relevant Magazine published a study done by the MIT Technology Review, and it found that 19 of Facebook's top 20 pages for American Christians, groups that were centered around Christianity targeted at Americans, were run by Eastern European troll farms. Nineteen of the top 20, right? People, Christians in America going to get news articles, to see headlines, to have their worldview shaped by these Facebook groups, which are largely run by the same companies in Kosovo and Macedonia. It's estimated that these Facebook pages, the 19 of the 20, reach about 75 million users a month. That's an audience 20 times greater than the largest Facebook group run from America. Does that surprise you? whose voice are you listening to? Who is being promoted in the voices that you are listening to? Now, listen, I understand that you're probably hearing this and you're thinking, this is so, so ridiculous, so short-sighted. You want me to only listen to podcasts, read books, read websites that talk about Jesus. That is so small, maybe even Radical. That's not what I'm saying. I love a good true crime podcast like the next person. But the question that John the Baptist's response should make us ask is this, do those sources of information and those headlines point us to the groom, or are they trying to be the groom themselves? Whose voice are you listening to? Who is shaping your habits and your thoughts and the narrative by which you view and interact with the world, are they pointing you to the words and work of Jesus? Because He is uniting you to Himself. Voices of value point to Jesus because Jesus' voice brings life. Jesus' voice brings life. After recounting this conversation between John the Baptist and his disciples, the Apostle John, author of this gospel account, adds this little bit of teaching at the end. And it has to do mainly with the difference between the voice of Jesus and the voice of absolutely anybody else ever. And it focuses primarily on where that voice draws its authority. John says, every person on earth speaks in an earthly way because that's all we've seen or known. We're limited in that scope. Jesus, however, John says, speaks of what He has seen and what He has heard and what He has experienced, which is glory eternal. Unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit from everlasting to everlasting, that's what Jesus knows and that's what Jesus speaks about. And He's able to do it, John says, because He's given the full measure of the Spirit. God the Father gives the Spirit to the Son so that when Jesus speaks, He speaks the words of God. The best any human voice can do is a small measure of the Spirit. The prophets, the priests, the kings, you, me, pastors, teachers, professors, They get a small measure of the Spirit when they point us to Jesus. But Jesus has the full measure of the Spirit, verse 34. The point that John is making here is that humans are limited in their scope, perspective, and experience, right? You would not listen to me about coding. You push the buttons, you do the things, you do this, and out pops a program. That doesn't make sense because I'm limited in my understanding and and experience with coding. Anything of value that we say that brings truth and life into someone else's life comes through a blessing of God's Holy Spirit. But Jesus, who is God incarnate from everlasting to everlasting, is above all and should be listened to above all. As much as that is a command, listen to Jesus, it is also an invitation an invitation to receive and rest in the eternal life that He has bought for us. Years ago, when I was a little kid, five or six, we flew from Orlando to Atlanta, and we stayed with my Aunt Jane and Uncle Chris, and we weren't super close with them, didn't know them very well. And so, when it was time for us to go to bed, they didn't have a guest room for us. My brother and I slept in their living room, which was huge. It was much larger than our house. It was two stories, wide open air, and it was very dark. I was naturally scared and didn't want to go to sleep. Add to that the fact that my aunt and uncle casually slipped into conversation earlier in the day that they bought the house after the previous owner had died in it. Wasn't going to sleep, not going to happen, throwing a fit. And the way that my father calmed me down to help me go to sleep was by helping me visualize my bedroom back home. I remember this very clearly. He said, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine you're walking into your room and turn to the right. What's right there? That's right. It's your desk. What's on your desk? A pencil cup. You've got some papers. Good. What's next to your desk? It's your toy basket, right? What color is it? That's right. It's red. What are some of the toys? And he walked me through visualizing my room back home. It was comforting, to be able to remember and visualize home John the gospel writer says that Jesus speaks of what he has seen and what he has known He is speaking of God He is speaking of eternity Jesus paints for us in his words and his actions a beautiful picture of what the life that God has prepared for us How he speaks and how he acts towards others is what eternal life looks like. Last week I I used a quote uh, which summarizes John 3, 16, right, the famous verse, and that summary was that God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son so that we might have eternal life, which is the kind of life that God has. Jesus' voice shows us and tells us what that eternal life is. And everything He says and does. He gives us a picture of home. And so, we should pay close attention to what He says. Particularly, I'm thinking of the things that He declares. He says things like, I and the Father are one, I am the bread of life, I will give you rest, I am the vine, you are the branches. And of the utmost importance is the last declaration He makes while hanging on the cross, it is finished. We should also pay close attention to His invitations. Jesus says, follow Me. He says, believe in Me. Come to Me. Rest in Me. And receive Me. Jesus' voice brings life. The question is, how will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus' voice, right? The voices in our world that are most compelling, that attract the most attentions, the ones that are listened to and followed are the ones that call us to action. They inspire us to do something. They show us a problem and tell us how we can fix it, but they're also left open to interpretation. How you respond to a blog post is different than how I respond to a blog post. Jesus is not that way. John tells us that we have one of two reactions to Jesus, and that is it. We can't just hear Jesus' declarations and His invitation and go, eh, sounds good, and go about our merry way. John's assessment of responses to Jesus is very clear, and it comes at the end of our passage, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John says there are two responses, and that is it, two roads, two paths to following or not following Jesus. Light and life, death and darkness. All of us, because of our sin, are on the path to death and darkness, and it is only when we hear Jesus inviting us to come to Him when we hear Him declaring that the work in, ne- that was needed to be done for us to have life is finished, do we see the, the path to life? We see Jesus Himself. When our girls were younger, we took them to Sequoia National Park, and we went to Crystal Cave, which is a beautiful cave there in the midst of the park. You meet in the parking lot, you hike down, and there's a guide that leads you through this cave. And they have… Uh, electrified the inside of the cave with all of these lights that allow you to see the different aspects, the different viewpoints within the cave. And so, as you walk into each separate cavern, the guide illuminates the room and points out all this stuff and talks through all the geology and the cavey things, all that really good information. Um, However, Margaret, who was maybe a year old at the time, was not too thrilled about being trapped underground in this cave, and so she was throwing, just going crazy. Crying, screaming, kicking, and so we were trying to like hang back from the group. We didn't want her her noise to upset the tour group and and interact, you know, interfere with the other tour guy, the tour guests. Um, But she was being too loud, and so the tour guy said, "Hey, why don't you actually go ahead of us? Why don't you move ahead into these other rooms, and that way it echoes forward instead of echoes in the chamber that we're in, and that you could still listen." And so we tried that for a little bit, but eventually she was so upset she was spazzing out so much that the guide said, you guys can just take her back out if you want. You can just follow the path and and go right back out. That's totally okay. We don't want her to to get overwhelmed. And so, we decided to do that. Something that the tour guide uh, didn't think about and I didn't think to ask was, would the lights be on if we walked back? because they carry an RFID chip on them, and if that gets a certain distance from a cavern, the lights turn off to save energy. And that happened right when we were in the largest room with the smallest, most narrow path, pitch black. The screaming continued. This time it was not Margaret. (laughs) I have never felt darkness the way that I felt darkness then. It wasn't just seeing darkness. You could feel it. It was terrifying. Thankfully, we had a flashlight with us, and we walked through the dark looking at this tiny spot of light in front of us as quickly as we could to get out of the cave. It was dark. There was one person in that cave who could bring light to the cave, and we weren't with them. If you are not listening and following the call of Jesus, John says here, you cannot see life. What does it look like to follow and to respond to the voice of Jesus? Well, three things. Three things are how we respond to Jesus' voice. The first is receiving Jesus. Receive Jesus. You hear the proclamation that because of your sin, you were dead. You had no hope. There was no way that you could bring life to yourself, but Jesus, who is God, took on flesh. He lived the perfectly sinless life that you could not live. He died the death that you deserve to die, and He rose again in order to give you eternal life. You receive that. You receive the reality that what you deserved, He got, and what He earned, you simply receive respond to Jesus' voice by receiving Jesus this morning. Maybe you have received Jesus already. Another way to respond to His voice is as John the Baptist says here, you rejoice in Jesus' words. You hear them, you know them, you meditate on them, and you rejoice at the way Jesus is speaking to you exactly where you're at right now. That means two things, you got to know Jesus' words. You need to read the words of Jesus recorded for us in Scripture, and you need to let them be the loudest words in the narrative of your life. There are so many people out there telling you who you should be, how deficient you are, what you need to do in order to be better, to be stronger, to be happier. you got to listen and rejoice in the voice of Jesus who proclaims to you, you are mine. I love you. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from Me." Take joy in Jesus' words. And the third way to respond to Jesus' words are this, use your voice to point others to Jesus. Like John the Baptist, use your voice to point others to the groom and the eternal life that He has secured for them. And I know what you're thinking, oh, evangelism, gospel presentation, I'm not really good at that. I don't necessarily want to do that. I understand. We'll get there. Start by apologizing when you're wrong. That's the gospel, isn't it? Recognizing that you're wrong and repenting. If you do something wrong, apologize to a person. They're going to be shocked that you're not defending, that you're not deflecting, that you're not shifting blame. If you own what you've done wrong and you apologize for it, I can guarantee you that will lead to another conversation. And you'll be able to say, when I do something wrong, it eats at me. And so I own it. I bring it to the life so that I can be relieved and filled with new life. It's that simple. Use your voice in whatever way you can to point others to the voice of Jesus who brings eternal life to us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your son. We're thankful that we have his words recorded for us. We're thankful that we have his actions recorded for us. But most of all, we are thankful for his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. Because it's in that that we know we belong to you, that we are your children. I ask that you would help us focus in on his voice that You would fill us with Your Spirit to hear Jesus speaking to us today, right now. Help us to rejoice in that, to rejoice in the way You are changing us and making us more like Him. I pray that we would know how to use our voice to point others to Him as well. I pray this in His mighty name. Amen.